So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. Obviously, you guys know that I get excited about uh, my podcast. I'm excited about all of them because... um, you know, I get to choose who gets to come on and I get to uh, learn so much and I get to make great relationships on the podcast. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun for me to do this. Um, but today's podcast is going to be a little different. You know, there's a lot of people um, that talk about uh, real estate investing and um, they talk about how to build wealth. Um, and I, I'm very particular on my sources of information because I strongly believe that your outputs are only as good as your inputs. And so if you're inputting um, not quality information, you can't expect the uh, quality of outcome to come through. Um, and quality of information, uh, to me, um, strongly depends on the quality of the source of that information. And I don't just mean that on not only knowing their stuff, but I mean the actual quality of uh, the person, their incentives. um, And I am very particular about that. Um, That's why on my podcast, many times I don't even bring anybody on. I just say, we need to talk about a subject. And uh, I've recorded many podcasts that I've never even released because I did not enjoy or I did not feel that it was something I wanted to represent or agree with. And so I don't want those inputs going out there. Uh, Today's podcast, um, we're talking with someone that we've already had on before, um, Josiah. So it was, oh, geez, man, I'm trying to remember how far back Josiah was. It was like four months ago, maybe more more than that. But um, Josiah, if you guys remember, he's a real estate investor um, out of the Midwest, and he invests in single-family, multifamily, he has an, you know, his his background we kind of covered in that podcast, but he he wrote a book and it's called Dream It and Build It: How to Crush Your Real Estate Investing Goals. This this book, Josiah is a friend of mine, and uh, I I really value the person that um, he is, and so that's why I had him on the first podcast. Um, but this book when I I got it and it was uh, quickly one of my recommending books. And so this podcast, I'm actually going to bring Josiah on, and I actually want to talk about what I read in the book and have him explain some of the stuff. I've I've never done this on a podcast, and it's, um, it's, although, yes, I hope he sells tons of copies and he does really, really good, the reason I actually want to talk about it is because of the subject matter. Um, It's clear, concise, and it's easy. So with that, um, let's bring him in, and hey, man, welcome. Hey man, thanks so much, man. That was uh, that intro was awesome. I need to have you introduce me on my show. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was re- I'm pumped about it because I was re- I, I was reading it and it, it's different. It, it's not like a lot of the books, uh, a lot of the real estate books, and um, I really liked it because the stuff you're talking about, a lot of the stuff I I, I don't know or understand. Right? You 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 have a, a, a different view in real estate. Um, investing and vehicles and assets that I've never done before. Um, and a lot of those things I've had uh, people explain to me. Um, and I've had people tell me the value proposition 
Um, we've even had some people on the podcast explain it. And although, although I guess I understood, um, you put it differently in the book and how, how it was set up. And so I, I'm, I was literally reading through it and I, I put in a bunch of markers and things that I'm like, you know what? I, I knew I'd asked you to come on the podcast and I thought it, it was going to be just a normal traditional podcast and we'd hear your backstory, all that kind of stuff. But when I was reading the books, I'm just like circling things and I'm like, I, I don't know. We're going to talk about this. Nope. Going over here. We're going to talk about this. Um, instead of just talking, I thought if you wouldn't mind, because I'm springing this on you right now, I I just like to ask you a few things, particularly on the subject matter that I'm reading that I'm interested in. Let's do it. So when, when you wrote your book, right. Um, how, how, how you set it up wasn't like chapter quite format subject. It's really subject based. So like here we have a subject I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to explain. It's clear, concise. It's to the point. You address, um, I think, a, a really good balance between mental models and kind of your, your mindset and actionable educational part investing. This has always been something I've kind of had a, a problem with with investing books, right? I, I'm a huge fan of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, but if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you will not be able to invest, right? It's, you don't, you learn how to change your mindset, which is outrageously important. I'm not saying that's not important. It's everyone should pick it up and read it. Um, but unlike a lot of those books, you brought in that, but then you tackled specific subjects. Um, and you didn't, you didn't waste time. And for me, that's important. Um, Clear and concise. So you you talk about a lot of these different uh, uh, ways that you have invested, things that you've seen, and you know everything from the basics. So you you kind of build this foundation. And what I'd like to do is, first of all, talk about um, why did you format your book in this way, which is not – yeah, it's just not traditional. And it's – I like it. It's much better. I don't know why you didn't tell me that before I wrote my book. Thanks, man. <laughs> I read a book, uh, Turning Pro, um, and the way that book was written was similar to my book. And it had one or two page digestible thoughts that really lit a fire in me for what I was doing. And that book is about, you know, embracing the mindset shift that takes place when you go from doing something to being a pro at something like AJ, you're a pro at investing in self-storage. There's a mindset difference between you and between someone who buys a self-storage building that's 50 units and they run it on the side and they just keep it. And that's what they do. Right. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a difference between the way you're thinking about self-storage and the way they're thinking about self-storage. So when I read Turning Pro, I was like, I need this for real estate. I need something that is giving me the same type fire from these little digestible thoughts um, that I can apply to my own investing experience. And I looked and there was nothing like that. And so I thought, why don't I write about my journey from trying to accomplish this goal and what I've gone through and all the experiences and hurdles I've had to overcome? And, and why don't I write this in a similar format to that? 
and and hopefully it'll be something that people will pick up and they'll read and not want to put down and that was the goal so it's you know i think i think there's two problems with with books that are written one there's no there's no meat at all and it's all feel good or two there's too much meat and no feel good so i tried to strike a balance of motivational and some some meat to help you figure out how to be a good investor and that was that was my goal with the whole thing no it it I mean, so, and you do it in a way it kind of builds on itself. So, um, it was funny. I kind of, you know, as I started and go through it and then I start picking up more and more, um, it's like, it, 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 it's, there's this building, right? This building sure. aspect. Um, right. and so when you talk about, you know, when you get in the person, you're talking about how you can understand real estate, real estate fundamentals, um, understanding real estate cycles, um, things that th- this is, it's funny. We, we say investing one-on-one, but for some reason, most people get it wrong. So it's really not one-on-one, right? And I, that's kind of the way it is with like mental model. Like if you're viewing something wrong, then you're going to approach it wrong, right? And then that's not going to work out. And when, when you built it in here, you're going through um, these real estate cycles and building a platform, but then you're also applying it to the individual. So after you get done through that, you go into finding a balance and chasing your dreams, right? Um, this is a message that uh, is, I'll say, different. Um, uh, tell me your viewpoint on finding balance and chasing your dreams, and because this is something I'm not good at. Balance has <laughs> never been my strength, um, and it's something I I know I have to work on. I have to I have to sit in place. So walk me through what your thinking is and, and why you. First of all, you know how you were. Why? Why do you think that that was right immediately after, you know, some of these real estate cycles and some of these really important topics? Yeah. So, to me, you have to 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 be a great investor or be great at anything. I have a lot of quotes in there by Michael Jordan. I have a lot of quotes in there by Warren Buffett. I know you're a Buffett fan. I am. Those guys. I look at those guys, and those guys are. They're the top of the pros, right? So I think to be a pro at something, just to steal from turning pro, you have to be at a different level with it than you are, than than most everyone else is operating at. So I don't necessarily think that being unbalanced when you're focused on self-storage, I don't think like being hyper-focused on that and devoting a lot of your attention to that is a bad thing. I think think what'll get you in trouble is being... It's not, it's not having balance in other areas of your life while doing that, meaning faith and family, right? And friends. If all you do is self-storage, then these other areas are going to slip off. If all you do is hang out with friends and family and you don't do any work, you're never going to be a pro at what you're doing. So there's a balance to be had there. All that, to, you know, while, while that's the case, the, the people I admire the most are at the top of the food chain in their field, in their niche. And I think to become a pro there, you have to be hyper focused and you got to figure out these mental models and you got to start applying your learning as you go. And so it's it's kind of part science, part art, I think, in building a really great real estate investment business and portfolio. Part of it is seeing what others aren't seeing, like your Kmart deal we talked about on your last podcast, the last podcast that I interviewed with you on. You saw this Kmart deal. Nobody else saw this for whatever reason. It was on the market for who knows how long. That was your art, right? You saw that you were you were pro enough that you recognize that opportunity. 
The science comes in when you know how to run the numbers on that deal, right? So you got to have that skill set to be able to do the art. And so there's a marriage there. So if you only run numbers, you're not going to recognize those opportunities out there because you're not seeing the forest of the trees. You're just seeing a Kmart. You're not seeing a self-storage center. If you only have the art form, you don't know the numbers, you can't see that that could be a good deal. So it's really a combination of being able to do the nuts and bolts like math and, and science, scientific part of this and being able to do the art at the same time. And the best people at real estate investing do both really well. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. This is such an interesting topic f- for me because the, the number one thing we get um, in uh, responses from the podcast and um, in general is just, you know, where's the opportunity? How do I find opportunity? How do I find a good deal? Right. And it's, um, this is, you know, I, we all go through it, right? I remember going, I just don't know how people are getting these deals. I don't see them. I don't understand it. Why don't I see these deals? Why haven't I gotten these deals? Why do they always go to some people? And this is, I think what I liked about your book is this is the marriage between mindset. This is the marriage between how you view the world and how you analyze it. And this balance is extremely important, like you just mentioned. Now, a lot of people may be going, okay, I'm not good at that, right? Or um, they're saying, how do I change? Like, how do, how do I develop this, right? So how do I work on that? How do I get to myself where I can see more opportunities, where I can find the diamond in the rough, where I can actually, like, what does it take to to do that and to, or, or, or to change so you can get better at that. I mean, I'm always, you know, I work on that. I know you do every does what, what do you do and what would you suggest to people to marry these two things? Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you and I were riding together on the bus in Hawaii at that mastermind. And I was talking to you first time I ever met you. I was talking to you about your self storage business and you told me how much, I, I asked you, how much self-storage do you own? You told me how much it was, which was a huge number. And I was like, how in the world did you get to that point? And you said something that stuck with me that I actually quoted you on in the book, which is you have to, you have to not only scale vertically, but you have to scale horizontally. And that requires different mental models, right? If you're, and I would love for you to talk through that as well, because you're the one who introduced that concept to me originally. And you can hear this, but not really think through it and be making a mistake with how you're spending your time. Because if you buy a single family property and then you spend three to six months fixing that up, it, let's say that's your first deal. That's, I think that's a very good use of your time, right? You're getting your first deal done. You're learning a lot. After that deal's done, you can take that same skill set and you can go buy another single family house and spend three to six more months and maybe save a little money here and there. Or you could take that same skill set and go buy a duplex and apply that same mental model, except using some scale. And this idea of scaling vertically and scaling horizontally challenges you to marry the science with the art and be able to grow at at an exponential rate instead of just one deal, one deal, one deal, one deal, because you wouldn't have the self-storage portfolio you have if you had done that. So I, I think that that is like in a nutshell, like the biggest part of this idea of being able to grow as an investor is not staying in 
you're not not staying just in one form of thinking, but expanding your mind as to how you're going to grow. I, I hope that makes sense. No, it, it does. I and too, I think the what I like what you just said about it was that you start. So um, it's it, it's you you as you're going forward. So you you mentioned you know perfect example is you got a house. It's so easy then in turn to do exactly what you did before that that becomes the default and uh, um, stretching a little right and saying, Oh, Hey, maybe there's another way of going about this, right? Th- that is tough. But I think and you, you talked about a part in this book and it was where you were, you, when you were talking about your uh, growth mindset versus um, poverty mindset and you, you're talking about how um, really it's the stretch, right? And I, I don't know about you, but seems to be for me, it, it, the stretch is when the art comes in. Absolutely. Because then you have to problem solve, right? Yep. And you, you talk about this when you're talking about like, um, first of all, how you, how you deal with failures, because if you deal with failure properly, you can, that you can creatively understand how to fix problems. And if you deal with failure wrong, all you're doing is putting up a barrier and saying, it's not my fault, Right that doesn't answer anything. Um, so when you stretch, you're forcing yourself into a position to not only be open, but you need, you, you have to figure out alternatives. Um, now that's hard, right? Because that means you're constantly going into this unknown. Um, but when you look at, you know, what what you've done, what anybody else has done. I mean, you know, that you wrote a book. I mean, did you ever think you were going to write a book? You know, it was on my, it was, it's been on my bucket list. And I got to a point where I got, so when, when we were in Hawaii, Brandon Turner said, Hey, I'd, lo- I'd love to have you come on the podcast. I'd love to interview you on bigger pockets. And I was like, I've been working on this book all along, but it was not ready. Okay. And, and I was like, you know, 200 bigger pockets has 250,000 downloads an episode. So I was like, okay, I basically get to speak before 250,000 people. I better have my book ready. You know what I mean? So when I got back, I put that into high gear and I got it finished and it was a labor of love because I mean, to be honest, AJ, uh, bigger pockets is actually looking at publishing it on bigger pockets, publishing fingers crossed. I hope they do it because for me, the distribution of the thing has been the problem. Uh, Amazon will get copies and then they'll sell out. And then people are sending me messages. How can I get your book? And I self-published. So they Amazon gets a certain quantity. And when they're gone, you have to wait a couple weeks to get more in. That part has been frustrating. It's on Kindle as well. So you can get it there or you can order directly from my publisher, which is Book Baby. But it's not been smooth. I was hoping they would have enough copies that they wouldn't sell out quickly. But Anyway, I, I got it over to Bigger Pockets. I'm hoping they publish it because, to be honest, AJ, my goal with the book was literally to, to document what I've done and the processes I went through mentally and with the, with the work to build the portfolio and to help other people go through the same thing and motivate them and help them overcome these, these hurdles. So I would be full. I would be I'd be ecstatic if, if, if all the people that wanted a copy of this book got it and I made not a dollar off of it because it helps me network and market, right? It's a marketing mm-hmm. tool. 
I can I can connect with investors. I'm trying to do apartments now. I'm trying to buy apartments. I want to syndicate apartments eventually. It's a wonderful networking tool. Number two, I get to help people learn, right? So if I can help people learn and it, it changes their life and I I just get the money back that I spent on writing the book, I would be ecstatic. So some people will say, well, you shouldn't publish your book with with them because they're going to take the lion's share of the profit. I'm like, I don't care. Like the, like the profit for me is people enjoying the book. So uh, I don't know how I got off on that topic, but I just wanted to add like, like it, it fills me up to know that you enjoyed the book. So I'm hoping that the people that get it have the same experience with it, but were you nervous? The idea, it, do what? Were you nervous that if uh, people, whether people, you know, I mean, it, cause, and, and this is what I, I like about you. So for people that uh, uh, don't know you, um, you are a down to earth. I mean, you're like, you, you, there's just no way I wouldn't trust you. I don't know how to ask this. <laughs> well, thanks. Right. You're a <laughs> family you. guy. I know you mean what you say. You're truthful. Um, yeah. And you're well-intentioned. Um, did it make you nervous that when you were going to put out this book, that this was a piece of you that could get judged at mass and oh, yeah, you weren't sure. sure about the quality because yep. you don't know who's reading it. Because when I look at you and when, when, and when we talk about it, when I was reading this, I thought you were, when you're writing this, you're literally doing what you're describing in this. So when you're talking about these different mindsets and when you're talking about growth and merging this art, that's in the stretch, right? Well, right. you doing this, you're taking risk, you're sure. stretching, yeah. right? And it's a, this isn't, it's not numbers. Two plus sure. two to yeah. four, it's what it's perceived value. There's right. way more danger in that, right? And so um, you put yourself though in a position to where you needed to do it. And so you went through where most people, they, they just don't, right? They, that's, sure. that's it, they stop. But you put yourself in a position where you needed to do it because of engagements, which that's what I, I actually uh, enjoy doing. I self-inflict myself. I put things in to <laughs> make me have to do it, so I actually go through. Sure. But um, in that stretch, that's when you came um, out with this. Were you nervous about what people <laughs> would think about it? I mean, that's... I was, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's like recording a song you wrote and then putting it on the internet. I mean... You know, everybody yeah. hates their own voice when you hear yourself singing on a recording. Um, even yeah. people whose voices sound great. I mean, I've heard them say the same thing. So when you write a book, it's like I read I read something from an author one time. I can't remember who it was, but they said it was one of my favorite books. And they said they felt like it was an out of body experience to write the book. And they look at it and are like, did I write this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it, it was kind of like I, I worked really hard on it. And the thing I try to do every day was just the problems I was dealing with that day, which you know this well, real estate is a constant stream of problems to solve. Constant. I, I just tried to document each part of that every day. And so I would get past one, I would finish that thought, and then I would start on the next one. And so like, I, you know, it was a lot of fun. Yes, I was, I, I was hoping that people would like it. But I, I honestly, I mean, to be an entrepreneur, you got to kind of be willing to go your own way and be okay with people not liking what you're doing. So there was an element of that too. It's like, I'm, I'm going to do this because this is on my list of things I want to do. I believe that this can help some people. And if 90% of people hate it and 10% love it, I'll be happy. You know what I'm saying? I think that is so hard for people. Okay. I, I just, 
to to know that that kind of vulnerability and what you just said is as long as 10% you were happy with the other um that's that I, I think that is a mode for people that first of all are successful but um you don't get the stretch you don't get the art you don't get that part without the failure it doesn't exist Absolutely. because when we stretch, so this creative side of seeing things that may not be there or opportunity that others don't see, that's not a guarantee. Exactly. And that's, you could be wrong. And if you are wrong, you have to say it was me because it was something I, it, I envisioned it. Sure. Right. It was not there before. And you have to be okay with that. I think so. Like I, I think of it like this. I don't know if you've been to Italy and seen the David by Michelangelo, but when you see it in person, you're like, wow, that is incredible. Like how in the world did a human being do that? You got to think that when Michelangelo was there chipping away at that rock, he in his mind could kind of see what that was going to turn into. But you have to also think in the back of his mind, he could have thought, if this doesn't look like I want it to look when I'm finished, I might look like a fool, right? But I don't really care because I can start on another one, right? So it's kind of the, the, the art form of doing what you love, which for me is real estate investing, is, is a higher calling than m being, being approved of by everyone you're around and making the most money. So if the book is a bestseller, I'll be ecstatic. If the book is, if, if, if people think I'm foolish for writing the book, I'm okay with that. I can write another book. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to put everything I have into each one I write and I'm going to do the best I can. But back to the turning pro, he talks about you adapting this mindset of, okay, no longer am I going to operate with this one foot in one foot out mentality. I'm going to operate with, I'm all in. I'm not looking back. I've turned pro in my mind on what I'm doing. Yes. And when you embrace that mentality, look at Michael Jordan, you know, it wasn't about, making money for him it wasn't about the fans it was about being the very best at what he could do and not everybody can be the very best basketball player in the nba but you're competing with yourself right you want to be the very best you can be at what you're doing so uh i think i think if you turn pro in your mind on these you know in this way it's going to create a lot of open doors you didn't even know existed and I love, you've inspired me a lot, AJ. Like I look up to you a lot because I love what you've done with your self-storage business. And you've, you've stepped off into the art part of this and it's, a, it's created immense value and momentum in your portfolio. And so I look up to you guys who have done this and done well at it. And you didn't know that that stuff was going to work out while you're doing it. You just thought it was, and you recognize the opportunity. And that to me is what the best investors out there do. So I, I love it, man. No, that's awesome. Um, and I think it's something a lot of people need need to hear because I think a lot of people view, um, I mean, you're financially free. You are an author. You have a great family. You, you know, it's a, a lot of people that is, I mean, that's the American dream. You did a legacy thing from the book. You have control over your own life and you have an expertise in something that you're proud of. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what else is the American dream. And I think that, 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 you know, when you look at creating that and doing that, it's important that the people that achieve those things, they, 
it was not without, first of all, fear. It was not without messing up. And two, that stuff doesn't even go away for that. It's a part of growing. It's part of the process. And you, I think you, you talk really good about that in the book. Now, one thing we want to do, I want to dive into the real estate side. Okay. So let's, I want to ask you on a couple points here. The buy property below its intrinsic value. Yeah. I mean, come on, you're using all my, my favorite stuff here. This is beautiful, <laughs> man. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, intrinsic value is essentially what it, what this thing is inherently worth. And, you know, Buffett and Munger talk about intrinsic value a lot. Benjamin Graham talked about in, intrinsic value and it's, it's a, val, a value investors mantra, right? Buy below what something's worth and hang on, you know? So in real estate investing, it's as simple as that. I mean, you have to, and, and you can, figure out ways to create value where you may be paying 100% of what something is, is marketed for, but you notice that because of some little nuance, you're going to be in with a margin of safety or well below its intrinsic value once this, this variable is tweaked. So with your Kmart deal, uh, you may have been buying that Kmart per square foot for what a retail store of that size sells for in that city but the intrinsic value of that asset for you was far greater than what you bought it for because you recognize i can change this into self-storage and, and get that get that process finished and completed that value add done and i'm going to be in this thing for pennies on the dollar and that's what all the best investors do is they buy well below intrinsic value and they and they get really good at it no, I love that. You mentioned another word here that I want you to talk about, um, margin of safety. What does that mean? Margin of safety to me at in investment is literally your equity, right? So if you, if, if an asset, just on single family terms, if an asset's worth $100,000 and you're in it for $70,000, you've got 30% equity there, you've got a margin of safety of 30%. So I think, I think the best investors always have a margin of safety in their deals. They always have reserves as well. And, you know, leverage is the beautiful part about real estate to me. I mean, paid for real estate's great too. And cash flow is great. But, you know, paid for real estate a lot of times reflects what you would have with a bond almost. You're just getting, you know, 8% or 5% payments off those things. But when you use leverage, you can you can juice the return like crazy. But the I think the art of the whole thing is not being over leveraged not being, not having leverage too low, but finding that sweet spot where you have that margin of safety, but you're still able to juice your return and beat your alternative of sticking your money in an index fund or something. Yeah. And you, you talk a little bit about wealth. And since we're on talking about this uh, margin of safety, you, you give, and this comes back to, if, if you're going back to kind of your first part of your book, where you talk about the advantages of uh, real estate, and you list out, uh, I think it's four of them here. Walk walk through. So you kind of mentioned uh, one there, um, and that's why keep me in on it. And let's go through your four main ones. And then two, give an example on one of your investments and how you utilized um, uh, those and how those ended up, uh, I guess, playing out. And Because a lot of people, we hear them. I, I guess me, like I, I, I didn't invest in real estate. I actually didn't really want to invest in real estate because I, I literally, I didn't understand the power. It didn't make sense to me. 
Um, and I would hear, it's not that I didn't know. Okay. That's, that's important. I knew I read all the books, right? I understood. Um, but I didn't understand how those things in real estate, um, why they're so powerful. Um, you mean you have cash flow, appreciation, principal down payment, and tax benefits. Um, yes. Walk through those and explain to me. And if, if you could use some examples on uh, on some of your properties, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the principle is the very same for you know self storage for apartments as it is single family. Single family is a lot smaller number, so it's much easier to just like blow through it. So I'll use a single family example. But you know, let's say let's say we buy a property for fifty thousand dollars. It's worth a hundred fixed up. Holding costs, closing costs, and repairs, we put in 20000 all right? So we're all in for seventy. We have a 30% margin of safety there, 30% equity. Let's say, that, let's say the property rents for 1000 bucks. okay? Our debt payment and operating expenses are, we'll say, $700. We've got $300 of profit there. So 300 times 12 is going to be 3600 bucks. So that's going to be our, our profit for the year. If we did the BRRRR strategy and we were able to buy at a margin of safety, refinance, get all of our capital back, we have an infinite return, right? Explain the BRRRR um, strategy real quick before you can- Yeah, BRRRR strategy. Buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. That's so essentially change you were talking about yeah. earlier. Yeah. So let's say you left 10 grand in this deal though. So you've got $10,000 invested. You've got 30,000 equity. So you got 3X on your $10,000 investment. And now you're getting $3,600 profit a year. So you're getting a 36% cash on cash return. So there's your cash flow. That's one of the benefits. The second is appreciation. So next year, let's say you bought this thing in a good market, which you, you should be trying to buy in good markets, by the way. Uh, you bought this thing in a good market. It's outpacing inflation nicely. So Next year, your property goes up 4% four, 4 in value. So your $100,000 property goes to 104,000. So there's your appreciation. So your assets gone up in value four grand and you've also been paying it down if you've got it amortizing. So year one, if you put it on a 30 year note, year one, you may pay it down 2,500 bucks. So you owed 70, now uh, you owe 70 minus 2,500, you owe 67.5 and it's worth 104. So your equity has gone up. So that's covering your appreciation, your principal pay down. And oh, by the way, at the end of the year, you're going to send all your stuff to your CPA and they're going to depreciate this property. They're going to write off your interest. They're going to write off all the repairs you make, all that stuff. The tax benefits are awesome to this stuff. And you can get in, into complicated subjects like accelerating depreciation and you know breaking certain items out and, and accelerating depreciation that way. But there are creative ways that are totally legal that your CPA can help you with that will shelter 100% of all the profit you're making through real estate, which can be a whole lot of money, as you well know, uh, AJ. And you can literally be making more money than you ever made in your life and not paying a dime in taxes because of the depreciation, the tax benefits. So the beautiful thing about real estate, when you get all four of these working together, it creates dynamic growth that can blow up really, really fast. No, I, it's, it's, I think too, you know, one of the hard things to understand and, and, and you do a good job in kind of explaining, 
uh, this and it, it, that right there, it, like how they work together. Because we tend to think of them differently. So a lot of people sure. say, are you a cash flow buyer or are you an appreciation <laughs> buyer? Yeah, what, both. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I never understood that. Like, what kind of buyer are you? I'm like, I, what, one that makes money? I don't yeah, I'm trying to make good decisions. Exactly. I don't know what you're asking. I, I, yeah. You know, I, it's not. And two, it, you don't have to give up one. That's the beautiful thing about real estate, right? You get all of them when, it, if you do it right and good, which um, the, another thing that I love about real estate, and I, I'm trying to remember where this is what you kind of talked about, but it's, 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 it's not easy. I don't want to say that it's easy, but it's simple. And if you follow the rules, right? It's really safe. And so I agree. That's comforting for me to know that I a lot of people I think view as wealth and money. And so you have to have this like genius about you, or you have to, you know, be, you know, a tech entrepreneur. That's not how real estate works. In fact, it's actually way better if you have good, clear rules and you just stick to them. Like Absolutely. you don't need to be doing, in fact, you can get really actually in trouble when you start to do things that are off the, you know, mark that you're, Absolutely. you're trying to make it do something it shouldn't be, or you try to justify something that doesn't meet the rules. Um, that's where I see most people fail is that justification. You know what I mean? It's, sure. it, you talk, uh, I think you talked about it here, deal fever. Right. <laughs> deal fever. You see people and they're, they just want deals for deals. Um, and this is a real thing because I have deal fever and I have to watch myself. Um, yeah, don't we all? It, yes. Cause we like it. It's awesome. It's powerful. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's really cool. When you're looking at deals, you bring into this, it's the 1% rule. Um, so a lot of people are looking to get into investing and you, you list out these, the four right benefits of it. And you're like, okay, but how do I find that? Or how do I understand that I am going to achieve those things? So how do I understand that I'm going to achieve cash flow? How do I understand that I'm going to achieve appreciation? How am I going to get the tax benefits? How am I going to make sure the leverage is good, not bad? Um, you talk about, and, and I, and I like the 1% rule that, um, you bring up in the book. Will you talk about the 1% rule and how yeah. it fits within those four things? Sure. So kind of a, just kind of a line in the sand that I've found. And I know a lot of others use is if the monthly rent is 1% of the sales price, then 1% or greater then I'm interested in looking at it further. Um, if if the if the one percent rule is not met, if it's lower, this the monthly rent divided by the sales price is lower than one percent. To me, that is a that that asset is not cash flowing with a good margin of safety to me, because you're going to take that cash flow and service your debt. You want to have enough profit left over that you're meeting your required rate of return, your hurdle rate. And then, and also to satisfy your investors, right? So, and you know, this is a sliding scale because as your your rent ratio goes up, you can imagine if a one, you know, if you've got a property in a really great area, it's going to have less rental income with a higher price, right? 
So if you're buying in an A-plus class neighborhood, this asset may have a 0.8% rent ratio instead of 1%. That's not going to cash flow well, but it's reflected in the cap rate. The cap rate is going to be low because people are paying more for the asset to get the location and the quality, right? At, on the other end of the scale, as the thing become the area is not not quite as nice. The 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 ratio, the rent ratio is going to go up. So people talk about the two percent rule. Can you find two percent two percent deals? They want deals that have high cash flow. Well, typically those deals are in areas that aren't quite as good. You know, and you get people looking for three percent deals. Sometimes you end up in war zone areas where you got three percent deals on single family stuff. I'm not talking about self storage, but this ratio is a quick way to look and see quickly, okay, is this worth my time? Should I even mess with this? And I've been using this on apartments lately as well. If somebody sends me a deal and I look at the gross rents for the month and they're not even close to 1% of the sales price, and of course I have to look at what the rent raise could be and try to figure that out as well. But if we're not even in the same ballpark, I don't, even, I don't waste my time and do hours of research on this thing because we're not even in the same realm on making the numbers work. Okay, you, you hit on something a really good point that I want to talk about. Um, this is, I think, what defines um, successful investors as opposed to not. Um, it you're, You do it so much, you already see the signs, right? So you already know your numbers, you already see, and you can make quick decisions on what not to go after, and you make long decisions on what you should. So... Um, Amen. I'm the same way when I look at my, there's properties, man, that I'm looking at and I'm like, there's no, like, I'm not even going to look at this further. I don't need yeah. to do a deep dive. Like it's, it, it already won't meet the standard that I, right. I need to. And, um, obviously that involves, uh, can be a lot of different things. And at first for people starting, you shouldn't expect to, right. That takes time. You got, you got to do figure out and you got to see deals and you got to walk through with brokers, but you need to learn it. And as you learn it, the better you get, the more deals you can uh, quickly go through, and the more that gives you the more time you can focus on a handful of ones that may be a great opportunity. So sure. you talk about identifying deals, whether it's apartments, you know, and what are you looking for? So you right now, if you're going out, walk me through your deal. What what are you looking yeah. for? And also what are the deal breakers? So I'm I'm trying to take down my first apartment deal. So I, I own 20 doors right now worth about 4 million. And we did this with the Burr strategy, right? Buying distressed stuff, getting it fixed up. I, I have some that are, you know, two to four units in there. But I'm trying to level up and do this scaling horizontally, horizontally as well as vertically, like you were talking about, and stop doing the smaller stuff that's, and, and the process there for me was I started off with one, then I started doing two deals at a time, and I started doing five deals at a time, and then we did 10 deals at a time, right? But I figured that out, and I'm ready to move kind of on up, so I'm now trying to apply this to apartment investing. I was formerly the, the apartment specialist on my appraisal team at CBRE, so I've got some experience valuing these things, which is helping me, and I've been around them some, but I don't own one yet, so I've got a learning curve here. But what I've tried to do is, uh, is several things. Like one, surround myself with people that know more about it than me. So I've been working with guys like Brian Murray and he's been been running stuff by him to give me a sanity check on stuff. And then I'm trying 
to just immerse myself in being around as many of these and looking at it and running numbers on as many as the, of these as I can. And so I'm again, I'm, I'm applying this 1% rule, like looking at something, are we even in the same realm to see if this is going to actually be worth spreading the numbers, running the analysis. When we find one that looks good, we're, we're running this thing through a, a robust calculator, figuring out what's going to be our cash on cash return, what's going to be our internal rate of return, and does this internal rate of return meet or exceed 15% over our holding period? That's my line in the sand. So if I can't get to 15%, I know it's going to be dis difficult to raise money for it. And you know, I'm, I'm looking for a minimum of an 8% cash on cash return. Love to have something double digit, you know, 12 or better. But really what gets me excited is looking at a deal, figuring out, hey, this thing's stabilized. I can raise the rents. I've got, a, I've got an internal rate of return at 17%. I've got a cash on cash return at 12%. And I could pull these levers the, and do some, do some CapEx, do a little bit of fix up, pull these levers and force appreciation on this project. And then refi out in two to three years, give our investors their capital back and continue to hang on to this asset and us all make really great money in the process. So that's what I'm chasing right now. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun when I get one. Okay. It, well, first of all, I love what you say. That was so defined. Um, and I think that's the number one problem that I hear when people are looking for deals and opportunity. If I would have asked that maybe to 10 other people, um, they may have said, Oh, I'm, I'm looking for a good price. Or I'm, you know what I mean? It's yeah, sure. That was extremely clear. You know your target, right? And for me, it's not about doing deals. It's not about. It's about knowing what you're doing. It's about actually focusing in and knowing where those things are. When you look at the danger in um, real estate markets, um, what are the things that concern you? And this, I mean, and two. The thing I love about real estate is these concepts are universal. So real estate and the economics behind them, although certain ones benefit in certain different cycles, that stuff, most of the economic drivers in the long run, they're identical. So when you're looking at areas, so number one, people don't, they say, I, I don't know how to identify a good deal, which I love your 1%, and I love how you just defined your target, right? Now, when you're looking at where to look for those deals, where do you go and what are the uh, what do you look for to have and what do you look for to avoid sure so maybe this is the appraiser coming out of me but i start with the trends and the overall demographic trends and employment trends in the market and i look to see is there healthy is there a healthy unemployment is there you know what, are the, what does the unemployment number look like? And we've got COVID going on right now, so this is skewed a bit. But under, you know, in more normal situations, and even now you can see this stuff, it's, it's a big deal. But what's the un unemployment rate? Is it skyrocketing? Is it relatively stable? You know, are there a lot of job opportunities there for people that, that want to work? And is there job growth? So people got to be able to work to pay their bills, right? And then in order for a, an area to really grow, you want there to be population growth and job growth. So I see, are people moving into this area or are they leaving this area? If they're moving in, that gets me interested. If there's good prospects for job growth, economics are doing well in that area, I'm interested. You, you, can, you can drill down like you do in self-storage, I know, and look at how much each household is bringing in. 
you know, the supply and demand of the asset you're looking at investing in and start trying to figure out, like, am I checking off all these boxes for where to invest? Once you find an area where the supply and demand's not out of whack, actually there's more demand than supply, and you've got, you know, good numbers on population growth, on job growth, on unemployment, that gets you really interested, right? Because there's opportunity there. So I try to focus on those areas. And then I also look at macroeconomics and say, what's the what's the political environment like in these places? Do I want do I want to make a bet that my dollars are going to increase that that my assets going to increase in value over time because of this political environment? Or do I or would I bet that it's going to go down in value and be more difficult? And I want to stay away from those areas where I think the government policies could interfere with my asset appreciation, appreciating and performing well. So that's honestly what I go for. When I find those things, then it's just a math equation of figuring out if I'm getting my hurdle rate, my internal rate of return. Do you have any, oh, real quick, uh, I guess the things to avoid are the inverse of those things. Uh, that's, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, do you have any, uh, some people have hard, fast rules. Like I want to see a 3% growth. I want to see this. I don't. Um, but do yeah. you have any hard rules on the the type of growth or even the uh, geographic area? Are you looking, saying, I want something within an hour of me? Or, you know, how do you, when someone's sitting at home saying, I don't have any deals necessarily in my area, right? What are your thoughts on, and what, what, the, you personally, what do you, do you put on you? Like, is, is there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't have a certain percentage that I'm like, if it's if it's not meeting this percentage, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I guess I guess that's because I I choose my market so carefully that it doesn't take a lot of time for me to figure out if I like it or not. Um, and that's that's again based on the fact that like if I look at these numbers, you know, to me a good market for single family, for instance, I invested heavily in Fort Worth, Texas. Well. I worked as an appraiser out there. I can, you can literally just drive around and look at them expanding all the roads, all the new businesses open, opening up, reading the news about just companies moving there by the droves. I mean, it's like, and then you read the statistics and it's like, these markets are appreciation, appreciating at this rate. There's so much job growth, unemployment's extremely low. There's not enough housing, all these other things. It's like, okay, I like this market. You know what I mean? So there's not a certain percentage for me, but it's really, what do I know? Kind of going back to Warren Buffett, he says, invest in what you understand. I understand that market well. I understand Huntsville, Alabama, where I live right now. And so I'm looking in these type markets that I understand and that I'm comfortable with on all these macro levels. Um, and then, and then I again, I, I try to figure out, drill down and figure out on a micro level, you know, there are areas in Huntsville that I don't want to invest. There are areas in Fort Worth that I don't want to invest. Yeah. So on the micro level, what do I know about the specific area where this asset is going to be? And what do I think about the the trends in those areas as well? And you can do the same equation where you're running through all these boxes you want to check off. And and really to me, it's just kind of like if it meets your criteria, you know, you're interested in that kind of thing. I, I don't have a certain number that I'm like, hey, if, if unemployment's below this, I'm okay. If it's above this, I'm okay. You know, it's really a big picture kind of thing. So yeah. Now tell me this. How, um, I mean, obviously, I know how you feel about out-of-state investing. How how do you manage those units, and how did you get comfortable owning them from afar? Um, yeah, a lot of yeah. people are concerned about that. Yeah, 
I mean, to me, if, if you're going to use third-party property management and you're going to use contractors to do the rehab, it, I mean, you're going to have to obviously use a title company that's not at your house. I mean, all this stuff is done away from your home, right? So really just, it's just networking. It's just finding the deal, having a boots on the ground that can go put their eyes on it and give it a sniff test, make sure it's not something it, make sure it is what it looks like, right? And then from there, it's just building out your system. So, I mean, we tried to do the same process all where we lived and we could not find enough good deals with a margin of safety. And so I said, I'm more comfortable with going elsewhere to find these deals with a margin of safety than I am investing in thin deals where I live because I want this thing to go up in value and cash flow well at the same time. And I'm not willing to sacrifice one of those to just buy something right next to me. So I'm extremely comfortable with owning out of state. Um, it doesn't bother me at all. And I don't really understand the recommendation that you don't buy out of state because it's worked really well for me. So I don't get the fear there. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't understand why people say you should buy close because what that's saying to me is, I guess that fundamentally from business and investing doesn't make sense. So right. invest close totally because of why? <laughs> Is it a good Why? deal? Is it <laughs> yeah. not? I mean, like that tells you nothing about the performance of the asset. That tells you nothing about the quality of investment. You know nothing about that yet. You're saying to do it in that range. Um, <laughs> I, I just, that doesn't make sense. And for me, the deal is more important than my comfort or my, Absolutely. so if the, if I can get a better deal, it, I, and this is kind of what I try to explain. If I can get a better deal in another state, then why am I worried about the safety of the deal if it's a better deal? I should be more exactly. concerned about the worst deal next to me because it's a worst deal. So Absolutely. go with the go with the good deal. Now, I, yeah. the fear though is justified if you don't know the market, then you shouldn't you shouldn't be investing there. Like so, you know, for me Absolutely. to go into, you know, I don't know where, but if I don't know anything about a market, I've never been there, anything else like that, I've never visited, I don't know about yeah, obviously that increases your risk. Outside that, though, if, you know, especially single family homes, this stuff's very, you know, when you're investing in single family homes, first of all, I love the, I, I don't want to say simplistic, but I love how I can follow set rules. So with, mm -hmm. when, if you're starting in investing and you're going to rent out single family homes, right, there's certain things you need to uh, uh, be concerned about. But there's a plethora across the United States to invest in. They're everywhere, right? So you can pick good economics that are just going to give you cash flow with appreciation, right, in those markets. Then look at the micro, make sure you're in a good market, right? And for every, you know, most normal people, you go to that market, drive around, and talk to some people, you're going to know, this yeah, isn't like exactly. hidden. This isn't like, you know, so no. for me, that's eat that, that risk is easily taken down, right? If today I wanted to invest in Austin, Texas, I've been there once. My actual name is Austin James Osborne. My dad named me after <laughs> Austin, Texas, because he wishes he was a Texan, but that's awesome. I went there once and it was like 10 years ago. That's the only time I've ever been there. I know nothing about it. Right. But if I wanted to go invest in Austin, Texas, and I wanted to start buying up single family homes and I want to make this percentage of cash flow and I want some strong equity growth and safe, I need to know a handful of things, okay? First of all, I know Austin, Texas is growing. 
right? It's all over. I don't, I, I don't need to, right. That's, that's, I don't want to say common sense, but I know that it's market's obvious, right. It's obvious. Sure. Um, yeah. I can also dig down into the details and I can make a few phone calls. I can ask some local people. I can go down there and drive around. So when a lot of people think when you're investing, there's all these numbers and trends and everything. And this is where it comes in. And, and what I want to ask you about, there is this nature of almost gut feeling like yeah. that. Um, I love about single family home because those are so intuitive into our subconscious as human beings. As in, when I go into an area, I know if it's bad or not. I, I sure. don't, I don't need a wall street analyst to tell me, right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. That it, it's that I can, that you have much lower risk in that space, obviously. Um, we, but when you're dealing with, um, investing real estate, investing in markets, how much do you trust that gut feeling and does it ever deceive you? I, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. How, how much do you trust your gut versus looking at numbers? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So let me, let me put it this way. If the numbers are awesome. Yeah. And your gut's like, don't do this. Mm. What do you do? Ooh, man. I know, right? I don't have, I don't have that. I don't have that problem very often. Usually my problem I'm, I'm is having it right now. Oh, are you really? It, and it's the first it, time I've ever had it. So number, that's, that's why I ask. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's a, that's a great question. If the numbers are awesome and my gut tells me, no, I would probably not do it. That was the um, decision we made. I would probably not do it because I honestly think you have, <laughs> this is going to get kind of out there, but I, I think you have a sixth sense about you. It, that's, that's going to tell you something's not right here. Um, it's hard when the numbers look good though, but I've found that when I have that feeling like something's not quite right there's usually something not quite right somewhere and in the past when i've made the decision to pass on a deal because of that feeling i've found out things later that made me really thankful for that so it would be challenging because this is such a numbers thing where you're yeah. like the numbers say go you know but yeah. i i feel like to buy a deal i have to feel good about the numbers and feel good about it in my gut it's, or else i just don't think you should do it I, yeah i, I mean and it's, it's hard, weird because it's hard, and I've never really had this this before. It's never really – okay, wait. Yeah. No, no, no. Let me say this. I did – I bought a business when my gut said, this is stupid. What are you doing? <laughs> and it went horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. So um, – but, you know, in real estate investing, because, like, I think – this is what I think. When you – when we were having this conversation, and you said – when I said, what kind of deal do you want? And you rattled off, I mean, you know, almost a full minute of what you're looking for. Sure. That takes away a lot of the gut. Right, Because sure. you understand it. And so when you go into it, your decision-making process, how you're looking at everything, you've already gone through so much. I feel like gut is a signal of risk and it's like your subconscious telling you absolutely there's yeah, things here that you don't know or you're not seeing and i i feel that you can eliminate a lot of that to where it's not the gut tell or not that it's not the gut you're identifying before your gut tells you right and i think sure. that's kind of how i felt i was like i think there's something that i don't maybe i don't know what's going on 
or maybe it's I'm just not comfortable enough that I know everything that's happening. But we made that decision, and and, and we decided not to. And um, in a time in the market where we're at at these interest rates, um, where deals are <laughs> not very easy, that was a hard decision. But yeah, that is a hard decision. It's it, you have the other problem as well, where you feel great about something. Yes, but the numbers don't look good. <laughs> oh, that's worse. That's worse. Yeah, because you're like because you man, want it. And, you want it, and it's it's it is a it is something you have to train yourself on yes. as an investor to not get emotionally attached to deals. It's so easy to. So I, I got to um, tell you something. We just did. Um, uh, you like this? So a uh, like like you, I've kind of moved into another phase, um, and I you know I've actually wanted to talk to you about this for a while. We've obviously both been busy with books and everything else, but um, so I kind of moved into another phase because you know like you when we were at the Mass Radio, everybody's like, hey, how are we going to move? the next steps and you know flip sure. and brandon turner made us both write books and then we um are both starting <laughs> new uh um you know new ways of investing you're you're sure. raising capital investing i'm raising capital now through uh cedar creek and one of the things that i did because this was this was bothering me because i knew there was this one time that my gut told me not to and i did it anyways and i screwed the pooch and it was bad um so i thought i i want to try to avoid that but more importantly, it was almost like I don't want the full responsibility of making these decisions with other people's money because yeah. that makes me a little nervous. So what we what we did in, is we created a deal pl- panel, and so mm. we're having people and they're coming. So as I get my deals in, um, and we'll see how this this all plays out. But as we're getting the deals in, we uh, have um, uh, the the deal. Uh, our deal guy and then we have the underwriters and we bring in the information the whole panel has to get we get together half the panel has to be against it half of it has to be for it they we need to uh duke it out but at the end of the day every single person on the deal panel has to sign off on the deal if not we don't do it mm. Mm. so um that's awesome yeah and it i wish i, love that. I could say it's it was simply just to uh, maybe relieve a little responsibility <laughs> but <laughs> but i didn't want in because of what you mentioned and uh, um, that I want it, that and yeah. that that pride and that greed that creeps up and it always does for me. And and maybe I'm just a horrible person, but I think most people are <laughs> probably have that happen from time to time. And I yeah. it was important for me in my investing strategy, and this comes back to some of the things that you put in your books that my investing strategy um, was based upon numbers, logic, consensus. And that I wasn't, it wasn't based upon things that I wanted, right? It wasn't based upon, I, I needed to put in protections against, I think, myself or human nature into Absolutely. the process. And um, I can't tell you how much I felt better about that after we, after oh, we did man. that. Oh, man. I think I might copy you on that. That's Dude, amazing. Seriously, yeah, it it helped mean, me out a lot. I, I think yeah. that, because you, and too, you just mentioned it. You said you sent it to other people, Right. Um, yep. mm-hmm. when, when I hear people look at deal, I'm like, who, who else underwrote this? Nobody. And I'm like, why didn't you have somebody else write it? Cause <laughs> when, when we started out, I was, I had sending it here, here, here. What do you think about it? Because there's so yeah. much that we don't know or can't see. Sure. So I love when you were saying that and you're like, here's my criteria. First of all, it's exact, right? You know exactly what you want. And then you get a deal sure. and you send it to somebody else. Yep. You're like, Hey, yeah. I want yeah. you to look at this too. I want you to find what I may be missing. Um, this is just great practice. This allows you to grow. It allows you to not make mistakes. And I don't know about you, but it helps me sleep at night knowing that I'm not, you don't get that nagging in your brain. Like, did you miss something? 
Yeah. Like, oh shoot. <laughs> you know, it's it, yeah. it 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 I love uh it you need to have a process to make those decisions. And when we talked about opportunity at the beginning, and what I liked in your book is you gave like here's the one percent rule. Here's you know, here's this, here's this. So there's a framework for someone getting started that they can look at it and say, because I don't know, because I haven't done yet, a basic framework to work off of that could protect me. You know, some of these suggestions are just awesome for people mm-hmm. getting started because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, man. I don't know if you feel it, but for me and I think for others, the reason you don't get started is not because you don't have opportunity. It's not because you don't have deal flow. It's because you're scared and you, people say it's it, lacking confidence just means you're scared, which we all are, right? I'm not saying that you need to toughen up. That's not it. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. Um, I, I think I think being scared is good for you yes. in a way. Yeah. Cause it's telling you it's warning you not to make a huge mistake. Right. But do your homework. Yeah. And I mean, to this point, I had a guy come to me that doesn't own anything. And he said, Hey man, I really want to get into real estate investing. Um, I'd like to run a deal by you and you know, just, you just check it out for me. And I certainly can't do this for everyone, but I did it for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he sent me a deal. He said, this is what I'm thinking about paying. And I was like, you're going to get completely raked over the coals on this. Yeah. And I said, here's why. And I showed him all the numbers and he was like, Oh, I didn't even think about that. You know? Yeah. So this, this process is not very complicated. It's like, if you have a deal that you're looking at and you don't really know what you're doing, be smart enough to go find somebody that does know what they're doing and get them to look over it with you to make sure that you're not making a horrible, horrible mistake. Cause it probably won't take you that much time to find somebody to check it out. You know what I mean? And it could save you like a lot of money and a lot of grief. So, and in two, I like, you know, you mentioned it, it, you need to be okay that you, for me, I felt, and I think a lot of people do, and I, maybe you don't, but they feel like they need to know everything. Right. And that's not true. No. Because that's impossible. So you yeah. don't need to be perfect and you don't need to know everything. What you do need to do is you need to set up and you need to have the ability to be reviewed and open that you're wrong. Absolutely. So Because, yeah, reality is we're all going to be wrong about some things, yes. right? Like I, I always think this about my own opinions, right, and my own views on, on different different topics. There's some stuff I'm wrong about. I don't know that I'm wrong, but for whatever reason, whatever life experience I've had, I may have incorrect views or opinions on something that are just like not completely factually correct based on something that, you know, whatever. We're all like that. We're all human. So you know that if there's a 100% chance that you're not always right, then you have to backfill that knowledge gap and get checks and balances in place like you've done which is so smart. I love that. I love the idea of bringing it by a panel of people. And I guess, you know, when you build a huge business, eventually you have a board, right. That's going to sit there and give you sanity checks, but I don't see people see people doing that on a level uh, on down from running a, you know, a big company uh, at the deal level as much, which I think is really smart of you. Well, it's weird too, that we don't because it is weird. You're you're like it. People are happy to help and give opinions. That's not uncommon common i mean you have real estate group meetups all the time you have um but i think what it really is and i i think this because i know you're my past thing we don't want to be told 
no, right. <laughs> or that's not good, right? Right, exactly. Um, but I don't know. I'm just at a stage where I'm just like, I just don't want to lose money, and I don't want to fail. So yeah. you can tell me that I'm wrong all you want, and I'm okay with that. So it's yeah, like, if, yeah. If you avoid, if oh I God. avoid a big, huge, you know, loss, something, I'm happy to be wrong all day long. Yeah, but absolutely. Well, hey man, um, this has been awesome, dude. Yeah, uh, dude. Appreciate awesome. appreciate your time. I um, your book was great. I loved it. Um, Dream it and build it. How to crush your real estate investing goals. Uh, where can you pick it up? You can get it on Amazon. While well, they have, they actually have have it in stock right now. So uh, who knows if it's there by the time this airs or not? <laughs> but um, they've got it in stock, physical copies. Kindle versions always there. Download it instantly. That's the best place to get it quickly is on Kindle. But if it's sold out on Amazon, Google Book Baby. And look at their store there and look up the book title and they've got as many copies as you want to buy because they print them. So you can order it there as well. And I'd love to connect with you on Instagram. I'm very active on there. That's at daily real estate investor. Feel free to shoot me a direct message. My email address is on there, but I'd love to connect with you guys. Also your, uh, your podcast. Yes. Yeah. I've had AJ on my podcast and try to have guys like AJ on my podcast and that's the daily real estate investor podcast. And um, I'm going to have AJ back on my podcast to talk about his book. So I'm super excited right. about that too. And congrats on your book, AJ. It's awesome. Thanks. You know, we yeah, got, we, we really need to give Brandon a hard time for all the work he's made us do. <laughs> <laughs> we do, man. That, that guy is motivating. I love it. He's, he's, he's awesome. I love what they're doing with their mobile home group. Yeah. It's been, it's cool to watch. It's, it's, I, I don't know. I just love people going out and doing doing big things and and you know a rising tide really does lift all ships it really um, does so you know everybody needs to surround themselves with those kind of people um Absolutely. it makes life better happier and um it, and more fulfilled so um glad, i'm glad to have you as a friend man i appreciate oh, your same, time same same to you man for real you're you're an inspiration to me thanks buddy and we will I'm, I'm sure we'll have you on again. I'm sure you're going to pump out another book here soon. So <laughs> I, I'd love to, I'd love to come on your show as many times as you'll have me. So thanks buddy. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Okay. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Cashflow and Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number two freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.